And when there's no more, no more little boxes to put all that shit in, you know, it all begins to fall out all over the place. So when it does, it's not a pretty sight. And, uh, you know, we need to figure out what we can start doing for each other. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Holy more, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 123. My guest this evening is Timmy Gleason. He is a 28-year veteran of the fire service, 22 years of that with the city of Miami. He's a 20-year veteran of Florida Task Force 2 USAR team, a plank holder, original founding member of the city's technical rescue team. He has been deployed all over the country on every major incident, basically since 9-11. He deployed to Haiti. He deployed to Surfside. He has been in the thick of it, and to say he has the street cred is a massive understatement. He travels. He teaches for National Rescue Consultants, and most importantly, he is passionate about rescue work. My brother, Timmy Gleason, welcome to Scrap Number 123. Thank you, Corley. Very, very happy to be here, man. I'm excited to get this underway. Me uh, too. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people I respect, man, have said uh, have said a lot of good things about you. Well, they're all lying, of course, but fair enough. Hey, man. Um, before we jump into it, I just got to throw out a little disclaimer, if you don't mind. Go. Whatever I say or uh, reference here tonight on your show um, is not the voice of my fire department. It's my voice and my opinion alone. Uh, they cannot be held responsible or shouldn't be held responsible for anything I say. Absolutely. I love it. Your opinions are your own and does not represent his department in any official capacity. They're his thoughts and opinions. So there That's you go. it, buddy. All right. Let's do this. Now we can get started. Let's get started. If you love the scrap, if you think the scrap brings value to your life, one thing I never want to do is sell ads on the live uh, live scrap and and do that. So what I'm saying is go to firehousevigilance.com, support it there. Uh, and I must say, yes, that's it. Okay. So right out the gate, when I announced you as a guest, I got an overwhelming reaction from quite a few people who sent me messages, text messages, and everything. They said what they did in Haiti was legendary. What they did in Haiti was epic get him to talk about Haiti. So I, I want to start there and just talk to me like I know nothing about what happened. Just just uh, talk to me about that deployment. Okay. Well, it, uh, as most people know, it was a monumental earthquake that hit just uh, off off the beach, basically uh, off of Port-au-Prince. It, it, the epicenter was in the ocean. However, most of the shock waves, uh, you know, happened right in the center of Port-au-Prince and, uh, you know, it, it, it rocked them really bad. We got we got um, deployed to head over there about a day and a half to two days into the earthquake. Um, then once we got over there, you know, obviously we got deployed for good and welfare to see how see how many people we could hopefully uh, get out of whatever bind they were in. And when we were got when we got there, I don't think we were. I don't think any man or woman on that team could say they were obviously ready for what what we were going to see when we, as soon as we stepped off the plane, you know, um, within minutes of getting off, of, of getting off of the plane before we even had assignments yet by, um, USAID, that's who we deployed under was USAID, not under uh, FEMA because it was a international deployment. Um, before we were even actually given tasks by them, people were coming up to us, telling them, telling us that they had family members trapped, that they were just right down the street. If we could please help them, you know, we didn't have vehicles lined up yet. We didn't have a place where we were going to stay yet. And we were already 
getting into the mix where we were starting to to try to help help and pull people out. And it was just uh, the devastation is not even to be believed over there. Uh, I was a brand new on my team uh, on the USAR team. It's called a rescue team manager. It's a, along the lines of let's call it. Um, you're the one who forms the rescue plan along with the uh, task force leader. You decide how you're you're going to use your members to to affect rescue. So I was a brand new uh, rescue team manager, and I was kind of thrown to, to the wolves, as they say. And it was talk about trial by fire. I, you know, I thought every day I was going to end up, you know, possibly hurting or killing one of my people while we were over there. Wow. No. Not to mention the uh, the aftershocks and everything else that were going on while we were tunneled into a you know a busted up building. We were getting aftershocks, earthquake aftershocks too. So, how long were you guys down there? We spent twenty one days there. Wow. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna catch you up on everybody. Uh, good evening, Jens comes from All Hell Reps. Yes, Christopher Snow said, "Let's get it." Andrew McGinn, let's go. Jacob Johnson says, "Timmy, the legend." Let's- Jacob. Jacob's a good man. No doubt about it. Brad Brown said, great class in Midwest City. Justin Fray's one of the baddest dudes I know. He's talking about you because he put three exclamation points. Um, CYA, yes, Dirk. We had to put the CYA in there. Uh, Andrew McGinn said, thanks for sharing your opinions with us. Mike Muleman said, let's go. And that one has six exclamation points. And then Pablo Jenner said, I want to be Timmy when I grow up. If you don't know, you should. Nah. So you get kind of a, a bit of the response that I got from whenever you were coming on. They're just being nice nice to an old man, that's all. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and f- so moving on from Haiti, stock moving right to Surfside, and the tragedy went down last year and that collapse. Man, that one was tough also. I mean, obviously, any anyone that we go to like that's going to be tough. It was a little bit, honestly, tougher for me than Haiti was because I came into it a little late. Um when it when when it happened i had had just had dental surgery so i couldn't uh couldn't deploy with the team when they when they first got there i ended up coming in about eight days late uh seven to eight days late so i was having to play catch up right with all these high speed guys you know and they had already been there they've established their their you know their beat so to speak they knew they knew what they needed to do they i i wasn't going to basically tell them anything you know it was best for me to shut up for the first three days that I was there and just listen to, to the younger guys on the team. And they, they plugged me right in into what needed to be done. You know, was there, was there a massive difference between the, um, I mean, obviously mass being a big part of it, but Haiti versus like Surfside it being an acute single building. Yeah, man, it was, it was a huge difference because of the type of collapse that it was. Uh, Surfside was just, uh, I mean, Pancake doesn't even begin to describe what what Surfside was, you know. Um, Haiti Haiti was tons of voids, tons that you could get into a void and crawl around inside of a building for a day and not pop up out of the other side, you know. But Surfside, we were just standing on mounds of, of rubble, you know, because it was just completely it was ten stories of just nothingness, you know, dirt and rock. Wow! And then, of course, being in your backyard, it's yeah. how much does that play into it? A lot, man, a lot, because, you know, you any, you know, anytime we we deploy, whether it's fire department or USA or whatever, and I'm sure you can you can attest this. Anytime we we deploy wherever we're at, whatever neighborhood we're in, that firehouse is in, that's our neighborhood. You know, that's that's home to us. So um, 
but this being right down the street from all of our houses and, you know, seeing it on, seeing it firsthand in the morning with traffic and everything that was going on, it really, it really brings it home, you know, here. No doubt. No doubt. And then, and then getting the reports of, well, so-and-so knew so-and-so who knew so-and-so that was in an apartment, whatever, you know, and everybody had friends or family that were, that were either in the building or knew somebody that was in the building. We, my fire department, we had, uh, obviously one member lost his daughter and, and ex-wife in the building. And then we had one member who lost his uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law in the building and him and his family just barely got out. He watched the whole collapse from his, from his um, balcony and then ran downstairs when he saw the pool collapse and he barely made it out. So hearing those stories and, you know, seeing how freaked out he was and, you know, how emotional he got and, it was tough, man. It was tough. No doubt. I keep saying no doubt about everything you're saying, so I've got, got to get a little <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> it's all right. No, 100%. I, yeah, it's, it's like the words don't really do it justice. Were you it all- really doesn't. I mean, yeah. Stan, you talk to any of the any of the people that were there on surf, on the scene of Surfside, and, and even Haiti to a certain extent, but more, like I said, Surfside because it hit so close to home was that, one day I was standing out, I was standing there on the pile and we worked the um, 12 a.m. to 12 midnight shift. And it was probably, I don't know, six o'clock or so. The sun was going down. And, you know, you're thinking you're standing right on this beautiful beach, you know, because we were a block away from the beach. Sun's, the sun's going down. You got this nice ocean breeze coming coming in off the water. But you're looking around and all you're seeing is people's iPod pads, their Gucci purses, their computers, their television sets, their microwaves everything just smashed the shit and you're realizing that, you know, none of this fucking material. Oops, sorry. Can I you're say good. that? No, dude, it's the internet. None you of this material, none of this material bullshit means anything because we strive and we bust our ass and we work hard to get all this shit. And here it is strewn out all over the, for blocks and everybody's still dead at the end of the day, you know? So it was, it was pretty surreal, man. And I guess as I get older, it, it affects me a little differently, you know? No doubt. Than it used to. There I am again with no doubt. <laughs> You're bringing out the no doubts. Um, were you always a special operations guy? Uh, how did you get involved? What sparked the love of it? Um, actually, the department I worked for before I worked for the city of Miami, I worked for a very small department on the west coast of the uh, Florida um, called the, uh, the town of Immokalee. And uh, there was only eight of us on shift out of two firehouses Uh any shift so we were kind of always in the thick of things and uh they sparked my interest in getting involved in special ops very early and then when i moved over to the city of miami i I just happened to be very very lucky to meet um a lieutenant by the name of frank maynard who was kind of my uh my technical rescue daddy so to speak he's kind of the one who took me by the hand and and you know taught me how to be a a rescue specialist and him and uh, a, a gentleman by the name of chief Michael Nugent. He works for a different fire department, but he was, he took me under his wing very early. Nice. Um, a topic you brought up when we were discussing coming on the show and one that I love, it's one of my favorite topics. In fact, it's the senior man or another way of saying it is that informal leader. So mm-hmm. I want to hear what you think that means and talk to it. And, and one thing I've heard over and over from people that know you and work with you is it, that you are what a senior man should be. And I hope, you know, a huge compliment. So. That's a tremendous compliment. And sometimes, you know, like anybody else, sometimes I have my doubts and I don't see it. 
uh, when I try to compare myself to the senior men that I respect, you know, I, I sometimes don't see it, but, uh, obviously I, it's a tremendous, it's tremendous respect to me. And I, I, I appreciate it greatly. Um, to me, it's a very important position. And I think it's a position that I say position, it's actually an informal position, as you know, but it's a position I think that's needed, especially in a fire service where we're seeing younger and younger officers come, come about, you know, and I don't mean younger in age. I mean, younger with time on the job, you know, guys are getting guys and girls are getting promoted a lot quicker. Um, it seems now than, than anytime, I don't know, maybe in my department, but anytime in my career. And it just seems like we're having, you know, there's guys that I, that I'm working for now that come into my firehouse as a captain. And I was their recruit instructor, uh, 10 years ago, you know? So, um, I think it's an important position and it, it, it's important. It's important for these officers to listen to these men and women. It doesn't have to necessarily be a man as long as they have a bit of credibility. You know, what it shouldn't do is it shouldn't give you the ability to bullshit. You know, um, you should be worth that, that, you know, that name that they that they hung on you of the senior man. You should be worth that and you should have earned it by not only time on the job, but, but experiences that you've had, and you should show that you're a quality, uh, quality caliber person. <laughs> Love it, man. More out than in. Yes, man. Uh, I had a first question coming at you from the audience, Christopher snow, rogue tailboard. He wants to know what words, uh, just, it just scrolled on me. Let's get ready to read it. What words of advice do you have for a firefighter working towards earning a spot on the task force teams? What I would say to you is, um, where whatever local task force you're trying to get on, if it's a if it's a FEMA team or a state team, find out what their requirements are and come to the table completely ready. Um, you know your application packet. Have all your let's say you're going to be a, a structural collapse technician. Have all of the classes that you're supposed to have for structural collapse technician. Whether it's rope, you know, rope ops and tech, trench ops and tech, uh, vehicle extrication ops and tech, anything that you can get to get you closer and more marketable to go out the door, um, you're going to do better, you know, and obviously study, man, uh, become a nerd, become a geek. There's a lot of different publications out there that you can study to, to show you how to build shores or to get, you know, knock the rust off. If shoring is your thing or trench is your thing or whatever, you know, you don't always have to build it with your hands. You know, you can work on it other ways if you don't have the ability to build with your hands all the time. Nice. Boom. We make miniature stuff all the time in the firehouse. We make, you know, popsicle stick shores, popsicle stick trench panels and practice, you know, with tabletop stuff. Cause in my fire department's a very busy fire department. And, and at my firehouse, we don't only do technical rescue. We have the responsibility of, of a regular first alarm territory as far as everything else goes. So we're not always able to go out of service for, for training. So, we try to do tabletop stuff the best that we can. And a lot of times we'll build, you know, small to scale, you know, not to scale models. And, uh, we'll, we'll put popsicle sticks together sometimes to build, to build shores, you know, to get, get the nail patterns down and how to do it. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be a full size shore that you're building. Nice. No, I love the miniaturization, man. Popsicle stick shoring is a beautiful idea. Because like you Yeah, can, you'd be surprised at the shit you can build. <laughs> the uh the uh well the best part about it is how economical it is too, and you still get yeah. the principles. So Yeah, and, and what we'll do is we'll take them and 
you know, we'll do a bunch of them that have the nail patterns on them and then throw them in a pile and say, okay, get the ones to build a three post chore. And then you get it and, you know, you can figure out which ones go where the nail patterns go where. And it's just, you know, a good way to, to keep the rust off, you know? No, absolutely. Especially when you can't, you can't get out there and, and dig full size trenches and break out the full size panels. And yeah. And yeah. plus we're in South Florida. Who the hell wants to get out and go dig a trench in you know, 96 degree weather with a hundred percent humidity. You know? Right. <laughs> Okay, uh, a topic uh, as if Haiti and Surfside were not dark enough topics. I want to talk about mental health in the fire service and your personal journey, uh, whatever you're comfortable talking about. Uh, and I'll just I'll just give you the floor and let you go. All right. Well, obviously, if if anybody's been around the fire service for the last several years, everybody knows that right up next to cancer, mental health is, is a new buzzword in the fire service. Um, we're losing tons of guys and gals to suicide, just like we are to line of duty deaths and, and uh, you know, and cancer. So it, it's definitely something that we really need to take a strong look at um, fire service wide, not just, not just my department, your department, me and you together. It's got to be fire service wide. It's, I, I really think we need to we need to get into the mindset of, uh, you know, I'm, I've been in the fire service long enough to to be able to remember going back to my first mayday training. You know, when they were teaching us how to call for a mayday, and and we basically need to think of this as a mental mayday. And I think we really need to go back and kind of look at the way we're training our people and um, start allocating more time to understanding what the hell's going on with us after a 20-year career, 25-year career, all the shit that you see, all the shit that begins to build up. And when there's no more no more little boxes to put all that shit in, you know, it all begins to fall out all over the place. So when it does, uh, it's not a pretty sight. And, uh, you know, we need to figure out what we can start doing for each other to to help out because it, it we can't keep going the way that we're going we're losing way too many people police and fire oh absolutely it's a uh, epidemic in the first responder community uh and and it's getting the i mean, like you said it's getting a lot of the attention it needs i just don't know if it's getting the resources or the uh <clears throat> tools it needs you know i don't know if it's yeah. caught up to the, the recognition think- is there I think the recognition's there. I just don't think, I think it's one of those taboo subjects, Corley. I think it's just one of those things where we all want to recognize and we all want to say, yeah, we know what's going on, but I just don't think that the tools are there yet. Um, My department, we do, um, we have uh, an organization that was started in my department called Never Walk Alone. Um, It started kind of as we, we lost a member to, um, to suicide, obviously. And, uh, and because of PTSD and uh, it started as a, um, a bunch of guys, guys and gals got together um, down here during the Miami marathon and they decided to walk in Danny's name. That, that's the, the name of the young man who, who took his life. And um, now it's become a yearly thing and it's grown from, it's steadily grown over the years from five people walking to, I think this year we're up to like 240 people walking and, and they, it's capped almost because it's capped pretty much because of um, COVID and all of that. But uh, easily we probably would have, I'm guessing would we probably would have had close to double that had we been able to, you know, do it as a regular, regular event. But 
obviously it's a little bit smaller this year because of COVID. And last year we didn't do it because of COVID. So, um, and basically what, what never walk alone does is it, um, we compile, uh, different resources, psychologists, uh, helplines, um, yoga classes, you, you name it, we got it. And it's basically listed on the webpage. And, uh, if you need something, you can log onto the webpage or you can contact one of the, um, one of the people that run the webpage and they'll put you in contact with who you need to be put in contact with, or you can find the resource that you need on the webpage. So it's not, you know, by no means are they going to call, they're going to talk to you, uh, you know, preach to you in any way, or they're not, they're, they're going to listen if they, if they can, but they're mostly there to point you in the right direction. Should you need help? Nice. So Beautiful. we're trying, but it just doesn't seem like it's sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's enough, you know? Love it. Come back here. I got a question coming at you from your friend and mine, Robert Ramirez. He said, can we circle back? In your opinion, how important is the relationship of the senior man and the company officer? Oh, it's huge. Um, a, a good or bad senior man, I'll put it to you this way. A, a good senior man could, could, make a, could make an officer great. A bad senior man could make an officer terrible, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. um, to, me it's, to me, it's one of those... Um, it's one of those relationships that have to live. They got to live together, man. Uh, they don't always have to get along, um, but they have to respect each other's position. And and it's huge because, as I said, he can either he or she could either break that officer or make that officer. And a lot of times, especially in my department, a lot of times the uh, the senior man is the go between between the men and, and and the office. You know, so if the captain or the lieutenants don't like something that's going on at the, ha- at the house, rather than go straight to the men right away, they may come to me and pull me aside and say, hey, you need to talk to the men about this. On the flip side to that, if the captain is just pissing the guys off and rubbing them the wrong way, it's also my duty to grab that captain in his office. I would never do it. I'm not going to say never. I, I have, you know been known to lose my temper every once in a while but i try i try not to um it's my job to grab him pull him into the office and go hey man we need to have a talk you know uh what you're doing here is wrong or you went after this guy and it wasn't the right thing to do or you made this call and it wasn't necessarily the best option you know and i'm not saying tell him his job but sometimes he needs to hear hear it from us too you know no he can't and i'm what he don't know right and I'm, I, I've been very blessed. Um, that's one thing I can say, I will say about my career is I've been very blessed in, and I've had some more than, more than not, I've had great officers. Um, I've had a, a, a few that, you know, I wouldn't pay them bus fare to get out of my life fast enough, but you know, <laughs> I just, uh, but I've been lucky. I've had, I've had a few, I, I've had a few that have been not so good, but I've had a, a lot that have been really good. And I've tried to take something, at least one thing or two things from everyone that I've had that have been great. Beautiful. Um, I'll stay on that. I want to stay on this for a second, which is, which is, you know, you, you travel around the country and teach what's things, what's tips and tricks you've learned with teaching that uh, you, what's the best, <laughs> let me phrase the question properly. What's the best improvement you've made as a teacher since you've started? Something you want to pass on to other people who want to teach. I think it's important if, if you decide that you want to 
make education part of your career um, in the fire service. If you, you decide that you want to, you want to teach, whether it's teaching uh, probie school or teaching advanced, advanced rescue classes, dive classes, whatever it is that is, is your thing. Um, you have to understand very early and quickly that not everybody learns the same. And what, what may work for Corley, I may be able to explain it to you one way and you, bam, you get it right away, you know, but then I turn around and explain it to, let's say, Rob Ramirez. I'm trying to explain rope to Rob Ramirez. He'll probably laughing now, but if it, I would have to go completely different to explain it to Rob than, you know, explaining it to you just because his brain works a little bit different. So it's, it's important to really key in on try to pick up the way your audience is learning and, and you have to be able to switch on the fly on how you teach, you know? So just adaptability, versatility. You have to be able, you have to be versatile and you have to be able to adapt. Love it. And adapt quickly because you'll see it. If, if you've ever done any type of teaching, you know, when you're losing the audience really quick, you know, and it, then it's almost too late to get them back. Easier to lose than it is to get. That's absolutely correct. Uh, Brian, Especially if you come hyped up at all, you know, if, if they know your name and they're already look, oh, yeah, what's this guy going to teach us? You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brian Bassanelli says mental health is an issue we need to keep in the forefront. Thank you for the work you're doing. It does make a difference. Absolutely. Thank you. Robert Ramirez had some choice words for you. Actually, Uh-oh. just one. He said dick. So that's between yeah, that's, that's between you and him. That's, that's uh, true. But stop me when I'm lying, though, when it comes to Robin Rope. Dealing with addiction. That's the next topic we're going to talk about. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, it, uh, the only easy way to say it is it, is it kicked me square between my legs. Um, I really didn't know how bad of a problem I had until it was, till it was too late. Um, I came home from Haiti and I didn't, I didn't realize that PTSD was even a thing. And I, to be honest with you, I really didn't, I'm not going to go into great detail about some of the things that we did over there that, that caused me some of the issues, but, um, you know, a lot of times in our profession, Corley, we're not meant to see or do the things that humans are not meant to see or do the things that we do sometimes, you know, um, and it lasts, it stays with you. And I came home from, from Haiti and I was starting to get, you know, I'd been home probably four or five months and I was starting to get into that downhill slide of not sleeping because of bad dreams. And then I was crabby all damn day. And then, you know, I, I started to self-medicate. Um, I had hurt my back and I started taking pain meds. And before I knew it, I was in uh, way over my head and I was in over my head because when I took the pain meds, I was able to sleep. I was productive. I was in a good mood. You know, everything was great. I was fun to be around. I, it was great. But when I didn't have those meds, I was a completely different person. And then, you know, one or two a day went to five or six a day. And then before I knew it, at my, at my worst, I was, you know, I was doing a bunch of Dilaudid and a bunch of 80 milligram oxys in, in seven days. And then I would go back to the pain med doctor and they'd give me more and, I would hammer them away and it got to the point where I was just taking medication to stay, to stop from being sick. And I was a full blown 
full-blown IV drug user. At that point, I was crushing meds and, and you know, banging them into, into any vein that I could, I could get. And um, it, it completely overwhelmed me. And it got, it got me to the point where I just didn't want to live anymore. Um, I was, I was self-loathing is not, you can't even begin to, to understand the self-loathing. I was sick of myself. I was tired of being sick all the time. I was tired of being, I was tired of being like the way that I was. And, And for me, there was no way, no way to stop because if I stopped, I knew the pain that I was going to go through for about two weeks of withdrawals. And I just, I didn't know how to be able to do it successfully. So I decided I'd had enough and I was going to end it. And uh, I sat for about a week and a half on my couch watching uh, my wife at the time and, and, and um, my two kids. Um, I, I have two girls. I, I kind of sat and disassociated myself from them. I mean, I was present. I was at the house, but I didn't really interact with them for about a week and a half and watched how they interacted with each other, how they interacted with my mom, basically how my mom and and my wife picked up the slack and how I justified that and said, you know, I'll be, I'll be doing them a favor if I just end it and get out of here. And I had everything planned and, and uh, I was a day or two away from doing it. And uh, I don't know how, but my captain, uh, the gentleman who was my captain at the time, he recognized it and he, basically showed up at my house and said, I don't know how I know this, but I know what you're planning and uh, I'm here to get you some help. And I went away for a while and got some help and, you know, um, I had some hiccups when I came home, but uh, I was able to get back on, on, on track and I'm now clean over, over four years. And I don't even feel like I don't ever want to look back. I don't, I don't, I can't even imagine living that kind of life ever again. You know, it's tough. And I, I feel I have a very soft spot in my heart for anybody that's going through that right now, because I truly feel that, you know, a lot of people, there's, there's people who feel certain ways about addicts and alcoholics and all that, but uh, I lived it. So I know, I know what it's really about. And uh, you know, if I could ever do anything to help anybody in that, in that in that ditch, you know, help them get out of that ditch. I'd be more than happy to. And I, I would give them anything I could, as long as they were willing to do the work, you know, because it is, it is work nonstop, nonstop, you know, thank you for sharing that. I, uh, I don't feel like I have adequate questions to, to throw at that. You know, <laughs> um, that just feels inadequate when you, when you have someone just bear their soul like that. So, uh, you know, when it started, along the way was it just a just complete gradual no big deal at first was there ever a point when you're like hey this might was there ever a self-awareness point look at there hindsight was, being what um, it is is what i'm asking obviously hindsight being what it was is i would have listened honestly and and, and i mean this in all in all sincerity i would have listened to the people along the way that that i was trying to hide it from that I wasn't hiding it from, you know, I had, I had friends and I had family members, you know, approach me and go uh, more than once and go, Hey man, is everything okay? You know, they never really called me out on it because I don't think that they were a hundred percent sure, but they knew something was going on, you know? And I think looking back, I think I would have, I would have spoke up 
and said I needed help a lot sooner because I did. I mean, there was no two ways about it. I was, I was on greased rails, man. I was, I was going and I was going fast and, you know, nobody ever wants to wake up on, on the floor of a bathroom, you know, and wonder how the fuck you got there. And, you know, it's just, it's not a good place to be. No. <laughs> um, your captain that came to your house. Do you think you mm-hmm. were you were calling out? Do you think you were sending messages, or was it just strictly? I think I did. I think I did. We talk about it. Um, some of it's a little hard for me to remember, obviously, because of the state of mind I was in. But we talk about it occasionally, and uh, he said he told me that I made reference to him uh, in a phone conversation that I just didn't want to live like this anymore. You know, so he kind of got the got the gist of something was going on. You know. No, absolutely. So err on the side of that's such a tough tough thing and Robert, it's a tough call man Robert it's a Miller's, tough call uh, because yeah go ahead nobody wants to be that guy nobody wants to be the guy that goes hey man we need to confront him i think he's doing xyz or hey maybe we can get him help through work or because depending on what the policy is at work you say the wrong things you do the wrong things this person could end up being out of a job and yeah, I've heard all the bullshit of, well, at least he's still alive. Well, you don't know that. You know, you take away somebody's livelihood, you don't know what they're liable to do next. You know, so I don't know, Corley. This one, I don't know what the answer is, man. Um, because you, you, you know, you you walk the fine line of being a buddy fucker, so to speak, or you're saving the guy's life. It, you know, it's it could go either way really fast. You know. So I don't, I don't know what the, what the right thing is. Um, I know, I know at the time, um, I don't think it would have, let me put it to you this way. It wouldn't have been the time for people to come forward in my department and say, Hey, Tim strung out on drugs. If that makes any sense. No, 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 absolutely. I I get what you're saying. Um, but I think just from your story and I mean, every story is different. But I can honestly say that I would definitely say this: the a step we can all take is is talk to each other. Absolutely. I, you know, I mean, there's no uh, buddy fuck in that. You know what I'm saying? Talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to be there for each other, man. Rob said it up. And I tell you, a huge. <laughs> Go ahead. A huge, another huge facet of it too. If you ever have to deal with any of this in, in your own department, is reintegration of that member. You know, you get them. You know, maybe they do come forward. Maybe they do say they need help. You, they go away for a little while for help. When they come home, let's face it, man. Every, everybody looks at him a little bit different, no, you know. Absolutely. And he, the guy turns around, and people are whispering behind his back. People walk up to you to shake your hand. They're looking at your arms to see if you have track marks on your arms. They're looking at your your eyes to see if you're wasted or not. So reintegration, how you treat that guy and how you bring him back into the fold, really determines whether or not he's going to stay stay on the straight and narrow, or whether he's going to fall off again, you know. No, yeah, and real or imagined, if he feels like, well, I might as well be on it if I'm going to be treated like I'm on it, you know. Absolutely. And absolutely, and so, yeah, that's another tough one. Uh, I got a couple things yeah. to throw at you here because I okay. don't want to miss a lot of this because there's a lot of good interaction. Uh, George Robertson said, "Glad you're still here, brother." Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing from Ramon Gonzalez. Lamar Green says, "Tons of firefighters need to hear that, brother." Thank you for sharing. It takes a lot of courage to speak out on this. Thank you for sharing. That comes from Yami Diaz. Robert Ramirez said, awareness, acknowledgement, action, acceptance. 
So there's the four A's, man. I love that. I love that. Uh, Some of our brothers are so mentally crippled that they just lack the ability to reach out for help. It's up to us to recognize and help them by giving them a safe place to land. I'm so proud of Timmy talking about this is so courageous. So absolutely. I wanted to get that in there because it's really well spelled out. I love the four A's there. Awareness, acknowledgement, action, and acceptance, man. Dude, that's a class. Need to and it's all, about, it's all about that member feeling safe. If they feel at all that they're going to be ridiculed, if they feel at all that they're going to be made an exam, you know, a negative example out of, if they, they're not going to come forward and talk. And they have to, they have to believe that I'll use you. Whatever, Corley, whatever I tell you, I have to believe that it's, it's, you know, it's staying with you. That, I mean, maybe you'll point me in the direction that, I need to, to get help, but you're not going to go to Johnny at the other firehouse or Ricky on another shift. And, and I, you know what Tim told me and, you know, I feel that what I'm telling you is, is staying, staying for the most part with you. And, and that member feeling safe is a, is a huge, you're either going to make it or break it with that. You know? Absolutely. Dirk Janik said, Every recruit class should hear this. We have to tell the next generation what risks this career can entail and talk about on how to deal with mental and physical problems, man. 100%. We prepare them. Yeah. We prepare them for so much and don't prepare them for this. The organization that I was telling you about, Never Walk Alone in my department, they, uh, the person that runs it, um, she wants, she has a thing where she wants to um, sit with our training chief and actually bring in on a voluntary basis when, you know, a new recruit class starts. Um, she wants to bring in the significant others for this recruit class and show them what PTSD looks like, you know, and give, give them some telltale signs on, you know, if they exhibit this, then maybe this, if, you know, they're doing this, then maybe this. And I think that would be a huge benefit for, for my department, you know, if that was to happen. And, and I can't imagine if they instituted something that, like that, at maybe at the state level where, you know, you do your, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how they do the licensing, but like here, you got to get a state of Florida firefighter certification. So maybe if they built something like that into the curriculum, you know, I mean, we have to take clowning for God's sakes, you know, for public pub ed, if they built something like that into the curriculum for, however many hours i think it would it would definitely help us at least know? to start at least to start yeah something uh, something someone had a qu- joe valentine had a question coming at you he said who do you go okay. to for support now that you are clean example someone in the firehouse preacher friends just curious if you're comfortable answering yeah sure i'll answer to be perfectly honest with you now um i go to my closest friends now um and i still do every once in a while check in with a uh with an addiction counselor that I've gotten very close to uh, down here that he's, he's the one that got me, got me pretty much on the straight and narrow. Um, He was a, he's a recovered addict himself. So I couldn't pull the wool over his eyes. You know, he, he knew when I was being full of shit. And um, to be honest, if I'm having a really bad day and uh, the people that I feel closest to somebody like Rob Ramirez, I'll tell him, Hey Rob, I'm having a really bad day, you know, Um, and I trust that he's going to help me get past it, you know, so I don't, I mean, shit, I'm doing it right now on a a podcast, so I I don't really have hangups anymore about it, you know, if if I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad day, and I just go ahead and 
get somebody that I can trust and I, and I let them know, you know. Beautiful, man. Uh, it's an awesome story. Guys, if you have questions for Timmy, throw them out there. You're going to get, you're going to get honest answers and honest opinions. That's all I can tell you. So be careful what you ask for, but definitely, That's get true. Your, definitely get your I, questions in. I um, think most of my pals and most of my buddies will tell you in the fire service that the one thing I try to be is honest. It may not always come out, uh, come out the way that somebody wants to hear it, but I do try to give them an honest answer. Hugh Long said, if, it, if that was put in place all over, speaking of, you know, the whole bringing the families in and making that part of the curriculum, think of the lives and even marriages that could be saved. Yeah, I, I don't even want to, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know. I mean, I know personally in the last probably, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, I think in the last, Seven years, I uh, I personally know of nine people that I've lost, fire service people that I've lost to suicide. So, I mean, there'd be nine of my buddies still still walking around, you know. No, Joe Valentine said, thank you for sharing. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to wrap my head around all that. It's just what we could do to make a difference. And it's just, it's, it's uh, overwhelming and frustrating. And uh, um, I think we got, a big start is not making it taboo anymore, man. Yeah. You know, and just not make your, your, you know, if you're having a bad day and, and you feel like shit, let somebody know it, it doesn't make you a sissy. It doesn't make you not able to do your job. It doesn't make you, you know, listen, I, I, I've been diagnosed. I suffer with PTSD. I, you know, but I still get on the truck. I'm still capable of doing my job. I'm still, it doesn't make me any less of a farmer, you know? Uh, one of the things I heard was PTSI, you know, post-traumatic stress injury, because when you look mm-hmm. at it, you know, and, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm by far not an expert in any way, shape or form. So I don't mean this in right. any way, but it is trying to rebrand it into like, no one gets mad at someone for breaking their leg. That's an injury. You know right. what I'm saying? You yeah. heal from it and get better. But when the, yeah. the disorder part is the part that it can be a stigma. And it is. So, and, and, and I think that comes with the brand, man, you know, and, and you hit it right on the head. You know, when you, when you hear injury you you hear of well the person's gonna it's gonna take a little while they're gonna they're gonna heal they're gonna do some some type of rehab they're gonna get them their strength back underneath them and then they're gonna be be fine again you know and and that is that is a true story i mean you know you're you're you get handed all these tools when you're learning when you're learning what's going on with you you get handed all these tools and and shown how to use them it's for a reason. It's so you can still remain a, you know, an asset to your company, an asset to your department, an asset to your, the people that you ride with and to the public that you serve, you know? Yeah. I, I like that. I, 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 I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned it. I, I prefer that a whole lot better than, uh, you know, PTSD. And I'd love to claim it. I, I, I heard it first from chief Walker, Mike Walker, OKC. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's his original idea or where he got it from, but that's where I originally heard it from. And so it's a hell of an idea. And so I really liked it. Obviously, it stuck with me enough to bring it up here. <laughs> it was stuck clunking around in the in the brain. Um, Andrew McGinn wants to know what questions to ask someone you think is having problems without crossing the line. Whew. Well, I I think a, a way kind of to uh, to start it would be you know sit the person down depending on your, you know, obviously I'm, I'm guessing that this is a friend of yours or somebody that you work with. And, you know, it would be something along the lines of the, uh, I would say don't assessment center them, but you have to be able to break the ice somehow. And I think the way you kind of do it is unfortunately a little bit by the assessment center, you know, I don't hammer them and say, and point out everything that they're doing wrong, 
but you can tell them, hey, over the period of however many days or weeks, whatever, I've noticed this. I noticed that you came into work the other day like this, and it's happening more more than than not. And, you know, is there something that I can help you with? Is there is there anything that's going on? You know, if you feel comfortable enough, let me tell you, buddy, let me tell you, this is what happened to me. You know, the moment that they that they feel that there's some connection between the two of you, they're likely to tell you what's going on with them. But if they see it, see you as an adversary and see, oh, he's just here to get into trouble, then it's you're going to have a hard time because addicts are very crafty people, and they, you know, they don't like to find themselves in trouble too often. So they'll they'll do what they have to do to sniff out bullshit, you know. So be honest with them, and if you've had a past incident, share that incident with the person. You know, you, it may uh, you may strike gold with that. Jacob Johnson wants to know what do you consider your greatest accomplishments as a mentor on the job? My greatest accomplishment as a mentor, I would say has been my ability to teach and have some of the members that I've taught in the past come to me and say, that they would love to work with me on any call at any time to, to be able to get feedback like that from your peers for, for one of your peers to say, man, I'll ride with you anytime or I'll follow you down that hallway. Anytime to me is the ultimate sign of respect. I, I, to me, there, there's nothing, no feeling greater than that, you know, than well, then a, a peer that I respect say, Hey Tim, man, I'll, I'd fucking follow you into that fire any day, you know, to me, that's one of my great, my greatest accomplishments is is hearing that from people that I respect. You know, dude, I love that. I love that, man. That's strong. Uh, speaking of uh, peers, Robert Ramirez wants to know: after twenty years of national and international disaster deployment, what would you say was your most challenging experience, and what did you learn from it? Oof. Um, I'm gonna put. I'm going to put um, Surfside up there right now as my to date as my most challenging uh, my challenging experience, and that was because number one, I came in a little late, as I said earlier, and number two, there were just there was just really not anything for us to do as far as saving. It was we were on a recovery mission, and anybody out there that's involved in the USAR program in the USA world knows that we'll do it. You know, um, we won't, we won't hesitate. We'll do recovery all day long, but it's really not, not in our first scope of practice, so to speak. Our first scope is, is rescue, you know? So you have all these highly trained rescuers, excuse me, on the scene from all over, all over the country and they're all a little bit down in the dumps, you know, because it just felt like we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing, you know, and it, and it was very hard to keep the members motivated and very hard to stay motivated myself when day after day, all we were doing was recovering bones. And I don't say that meaning that that's a, a job that nobody should do. Honestly, now looking back on it, that's probably, although it's been one of the toughest it's probably been one of the most rewarding assignments in my career because I was able to say, 
I know for a fact I was able to give 90 plus people closure, 90 plus families closure because we found what we found, you know? Um, but man, when you're going through it, it's tough. It's tough when you're, when you're not making the grabs and when you're not, when, when you, you know, you're not finding, I'm trying to be careful what I say here. When you're not, when you're not finding whole things, it, it, it makes it kind of tough, you know? No, I can only, uh, yeah. Yeah, Dirk Dirk Jane said the transition from rescue to recovery is always hard for the crews involved. Yeah, Yeah. it was a it was a major like bummer. Like when when we were told, you know, this would be our this would be our last it would be our last operational period for the deployment, and then in the morning we'd be packing up our shit and going home. It was tough, man. It was you know. you know most people would tell you that they wanted to say well good i'm ready to go home but i would tell you the lion's share of the people felt uh, unfulfilled like there was still work for us to do when there really wasn't you know we 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 you know were able to kind of find everybody so to speak that we were looking for and so we really did fulfill our responsibility but it just it just didn't feel like we 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 got it all you know and it was tough. It was it was tough. And and going home after a deployment like that is always the hardest. Um, for me, going home is always hard, really hard, especially for the first couple days and into the first week or two, because I I get that feeling like I should be doing something, you know, like I should be looking for something or I should be on my feet doing something, maintaining tools, doing something, and there's really nothing for you to do. So you're at the, always at this high level of of awareness and and alertness and then you get home and it's like no man your job is to relax for a couple days before you go back to the firehouse and i had you know i was having a really hard time on this one too kind of adjusting to being home i I have a buddy of mine that's on uh, new jersey on new jersey's task force uh, gabe and jemmy and i was talking to him and he was telling me the same thing that you know it was that that first couple days of getting back into the groove is kind of it's hard. It's hard to get back into it, you know, to get back into the swing. No doubt about it, man. That transition, reintegration, almost the de-escalation slash reintegration slash. It's huge. I don't even know what the right words are. <clears throat> it's huge, and that's for us, really, to be honest with you, Corley. That's kind of how, in my department, that's more or less how the whole PTSD thing kind of. Besides, never walk alone. We ended up. Uh, training a bunch of what we call peer counselors to help with, you know, tragic calls on the PTSD side of it, because we were, we had all these rescuers coming home from nine 11, from Katrina, from all these, and we, we'd get home and have nobody to talk to, you know, the department would send somebody that we didn't know. Maybe we, uh, our fault, not their fault. Maybe we didn't respect these people for whatever reason. So we didn't take them serious. Um, they had no credibility with us, so they would come to try to talk to us about, you know, what we could expect to feel over the next two days. And all we were thinking about was getting out to the parking lot to grab a beer, you know. Yeah, the typical firefighter response. Yeah, and we'd get out to the parking lot, we'd grab a beer, and we'd bitch and moan about the shit that we would have, we should have been bitching and moaning to this person about, you know. But it was more therapeutic because we trusted each other. And our program manager of the USAR team at the time decided to – kind of invest in that and he picked a bunch of bunch of guys and we all went to 
peer counseling school and a, a bunch of us now are the peer you know ptsd peer counselors for the department so nice man this this crap has gone from i mean we go from we go from bright topics like training and and teaching down to the darkest pits of of mental yeah man uh, taboo I, 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 people don't I talk about this stuff that. I feel bad doing that, man. No, absolutely, do not. Do not know in a heartbeat. Do not. This is great. He said, "Absolutely, hundred percent." Do not apologize whatsoever for it. It's just to me, it's a weird scrap because we're going from bright topics to dark topics to bright, and then and it's great. And again, that's not a complaint. It's just a roller coaster. So, Rob, Rob, Rob has labeled me uh, a beautiful, sad story. Is what Rob calls me all the time. That's a big joke between me and him. (laughs) Solid. Most challenging rope rescue. Oof, most challenging rope rescue was uh, Key Biscayne. I want to say it had to be four-ish years ago, maybe. Um, I was at my ultimate fighting weight of about 150 pounds, and this gentleman was 320, maybe, hanging off the side of a building. And uh, myself and another fireman, uh, Miguel Perez went down and we picked him off. He was on a, he was on a a painting swing stage and the swing stage failed on one side and he was hanging all his 320 pounds in in a harness that was about four sizes too small for him. And he didn't speak any English. So we went down, picked him off and got him to the ground Mm. (laughs) while being yelled yelled out by all the neighbors and everybody trying to help out. Yeah, one lady started yelling at me in Spanish that I was hurting him. And I think I yelled some not-so-nice things back at her. <laughs> Perfect customer service. Absolutely. Uh, the passion that he still has for teaching and sharing his knowledge is a lot about Timmy. That comes from Brad Brown. I'm catching you up here. I'm reading some. Never apologize. It needs to be talked about. That's from Andrew McGinn, 100%. 100%, man. Uh, Brian Flora says, these are the discussions that need to be had. Again, man, this is a sentiment that's coming up. Please don't apologize for anything. This has been one of the best scraps I've heard. Thank you, Chief, for facilitating this. Bro, this is all Timmy being willing to share. This is 100%, man. Um, Yeah, Lamar Green says, too many want to focus on the brighter side and happy things in the fire service. These are the topics that are going to save someone's life. Mental health needs just as much discussion as cancer and leadership on our job. Don't ever apologize, brother. This is awesome. So there you go. You're getting tons of good feedback, man. They want Thank to know you. were you were you were you carrying on your customer service in English or Spanish? Is that what the question um, is? Unfortunately, I'm English only. I like when Ortega breaks off in the Spanish. Is he there? Oh, no, I haven't seen him yet. He's not on. Damn, I wish he was on. <laughs> um, Joe Valentine wants to know what is your favorite subject to teach, rescue wise, and then fire wise. Uh, rescue wise, two subjects. Um, I really enjoy. I don't know if it's so much. Uh, we'll call it fire fire side is uh rapid intervention and survival and then on the rescue side is um advanced rescues advanced education stuff we do nrc we do uh, i'm the lead one of the lead instructors for the man versus machine uh, program that we have and uh to me it, you, i can't get enough of that it's it's any type of weird entrapment or weird and impalement or entanglement uh we kind of try to mimic it and then we we throw it out there and teach it to the students the good thing about our class is uh everything that we do in that class has been done either by myself 
or one of the other members that that teach the class. So anytime we get something new, hey, I had this run today. We try to we get together and we try to figure out a way that we can re- reenact it and we we give it out to the to, to the next class. You know, from cutting off uh, you know sexual devices in ERs to um, you know mm-hmm. uh, pulling somebody's hand out of a meat grinder. Totally different kind of man versus machine at that point. A- absolutely. I don't know if this will pop up on here. I'm seeing if it will even show up. Oh, trying yeah, to I can up. see it. I can see it. This is the high tech that the scrap is. I hold up the picture. I'm waiting Looks to see great, it. Looks great, man. I'm trying to adjust. I don't. The delay. You see that, big, see that big cannonball he's got sticking out front? Oh, there you go. You just cleared it up good now. <laughs> All right. The delay. Rob sent me that, so it was like high tech. Uh, you can actually see what we were talking about—a picture of the actual rope rescue. That guy was uh, nineteen floors, nineteen floors up. Yeah. Okay. Um, beautiful man. Uh, yeah, Smith Megan said, "I loved Man versus Machine." Oh yeah, she was in our class in uh, yeah. OKC, right? Yeah. yeah, Midwest City there. Yep, yeah, Midwest. Uh, we're coming back. This we're summer, back. I'm looking forward to it. Where was I at? Okay, books. Book or books that you think firefighters should be reading? Oh, man. I'm, uh, when it comes to reading, uh, reading and music, I'm a pretty big nerd. Uh, and I'm really all all over the place. Okay. Um, recently, I, my favorite books to read, like, I, I don't know if these are necessarily uh fire service per se books but i try to read anything to do with leadership that has to do with leadership and that that i think would make me a better leader Mm. um there's a gentleman uh, his name is scott faith you can find him uh if you look up the havoc journal and he has an article called uh rethinking outside of the box okay and it's a big topic with me because i hate the term, oh, well, all we got to do is think outside of the box. A lot of times people that say that don't ever take the time to learn what's in the box. So they're not even trying to attempt the skills that are inside the box before they start thinking outside of the box. Sure. You know, so he, um, the article that he writes, he's a special operator for, for um, special forces. He's an operator for special forces. And he talks about, how thinking outside of the box before you know what's in the box can definitely get you in a lot of trouble. So to me, it's a great article. Um, I also recently read a book that to me coincides with the fire department. It's called the hour between dog and wolf by Josh Coates. And it's about taking calculated risks. The hour between dog and wolf. Okay. Um, Sources of Power by Gary Klein. And that, that's on how uh, how people think. No, I love it. And make... Uh, and then, you know, all, all the nerdy stuff, like uh, John O'Connell's uh, Emergency Collapse Shoring book is on my in my book bag, and I read it whenever I have a chance. I've probably read it nine times. Um, the Marine Corps Doctrine on Warfighting I have. Obviously, I'm not at war and I'm not a Marine, but the message still in leadership gets across. So stuff like that. Beautiful. Love it, man. And I've, and like, 
I don't think the three you let off with, I don't think I've heard or read. So I love that. I got three things to add to my, my ever growing, always falling behind re- books list of books. I still need to read. All right. I'm currently reading. Uh, well, go, go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear. I was going to say, I'm currently reading the personal memoirs of uh, general William Sherman right now. I know it sounds nerdy, but the guy was listed as one of the, the best, a military strategist strategist and leaders of all time. So dude, I love biographies and autobiographies and I cannot, I mean, I wish I had more time to read them. I just uh, don't ever quite get to uh, audio book, buddy, audio book <laughs> as much as I hate to say it. Cause I'm a book nerd, but audio audio book is how I get by now. No, I love it. I love it. Um, perfect. Now we have a thing we do on the scrap. It's called the five questions for firefighters, which recently, starting in 2022, became the next five questions for firefighters. Okay. 100% the uh, questions are uh, 100% the answers are your opinion, and they're scored by me, if scored at all, <laughs> and uh, okay. ready to go. So, Timmy Gleason, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? I'm ready, sir. Let's do this. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter? Willingness, willingness to forever learn. Hmm. You can't ever stop learning. If you, if if you, if you're giving up on learning, it's time for you to go. You're 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 getting in the way. I love it. I love. It. I had a chief, uh, one of my big mentors, in fact, said, "When you feel like you you're ready to quit learning, it's time to retire." That's it. So I love that answer. I'll give Max points to that answer. Willingness to forever learn. I love it. Number two. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Well, uh, I, I would say knowing then what I know now and all the shit that I was going to see and have to deal with, um, I would say find a healthy outlet um, and understand that although we are all fire nerds and fire geeks and this, this profession has made us some of us who we are understand that fire department doesn't, doesn't own your life, you know, find, find a healthy outlet outside of here and give yourself some downtime away from the fire department. I'm not talking weeks or months away, but I'm talking about if you, you know, you have that bad call or you, you, you know, you, you go on a deployment, ha- give yourself some type of outlet to come home to where you can decompress. Don't go right into something else fire department related, you know, that and, and promote, 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 promote. That's one of the biggest regrets I have is that I didn't promote. Solid, man. <laughs> Number three, what is your favorite training drill? Written survival hand in hand teach them teach them how to save themselves and then teach them how to go on and save somebody else love it (laughs) what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career i learned very early on to form my own opinions a lot of times in the fire department we listen to all the brouhaha and all the bullshit you know hey that rob guy is is this and he's that and he's terrible and he's this and he's that and I've never even talked to the guy before. So I already, I form an opinion about the guy before he even gets to my firehouse. Then he gets to my firehouse and we start working with each other. 
and I find out that he's really not that bad of a guy. You know, maybe he was just misunderstood. So listen to the noise, but until it's proven otherwise, it's kind of just noise. Form your own opinions, you know. Beautiful. Final question. Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Hmm. Can I take uh, showing up on a heavy rescue and being proactive, Rit? You can. It's your answer. <laughs> That's going to be my answer. Proactive Rit on the heavy rescue? Yeah. Spoken like a rescue guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick, Scott Faith was the guy with the uh, rethinking outside the box, yes? Uh, yes, Scott Faith. Rethinking Scott Faith. outside of the box. Yeah. Was that the a Havoc? Yeah. Havoc, I'll send you the link when we're done. Hugh I'll, Long, I'll Hugh Long had there. the question, so... If you okay. get the link, you can post it in the in the in the fi- Facebook comments. If you do Facebook, uh, okay, he can find it there. But Hugh, I'll get him to do that. <clears throat> uh, Steve Young wanted to know: Do you see a time when battery extrication tools will completely replace hydraulics? I hope I'm off the job before that happens. For me, um, I think like anything else, I I don't ever want to see them. Well, I should say this: I think we carry them on our on my heavy. We have a set of hydraulics and we have a set of batteries. Um, everything has their place and, uh, you know, to see a set of battery powered tools completely run on the truck as a standalone, alone unit, not on, not on our, not on a city truck. No, not for us. Anyway, we're going to have both. We're going to have both at least for as long as I'm on the job (laughs) on the team there. I had that question come in late, so I wanted to throw it at you just to get the answer. Yeah, no, it's a good question, though. I get that question a lot, actually. And I know guys feel pretty strongly about the battery-powered tools. It's just, uh, to me, they have their limitations. And I'd rather have a a set of, you know, corded hydraulic ones that we could beat the shit out of than the softer plastic uh, battery-powered ones, you know. There you go. There it is. Officially, 123 scraps in the books. So if someone wow, wants, man, that was awesome. <laughs> dude, you killed it, man. Absolutely killed it. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you for more info or, or ask you about books, talk to you yeah, nerdy sure. stuff about, about history, uh, any um, of that stuff, how do they do it? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, through NRC, we'll be at the Orlando Fire Conference the 24th through the 26th of February. Myself and Rob will be helping out with the engine company stuff. And then March 3rd through the 5th, we'll be at the Florida Fire Expo. Beautiful. <laughs> I keep saying beautiful over and over like it's something. I got to get new. I got to quit saying no doubt and beautiful. Those are the two. <laughs> I need a shot caller so the audience can shock me when I do it. Uh, uh, awesome. Go there. Support the scrap. Uh, all shirts and merch are back in stock, minus a few of the popular hat colors. Next up, next week, next Monday, Clyde Gordon. One of the nicest dudes on the planet and a hell of a chief. Then February is loaded out. We got Bobby Eckert, OJ Kalaziaj, which I probably mispronounced his name, but I'll figure it out on the scrap how to say it. Chad Daly, Nick Esposita. It is going to be a packed out February. So I'm already excited. Not to mention, I'll be there at Orlando with you guys uh, teaching, and I look forward to it immensely. Great, man. We'll hang out for sure. Next thing I'm doing is going up to Nebraska for Lex Lukert conference up there. If you see me any place, get pictures. I'm the world's worst at getting pictures, so I always like to say it on the scrap. Ask me, get pictures with me. I love it because I sent you 
Didn't I send you the one that we took in the firehouse? Uh, yes, yes, I have it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, Still by far one of the best, best steak meals I've ever had. It was an accident, but I'll take it. We've done it, Man, si- it, we've done it since. It's turned out pretty good. Uh, it was good. Two coins to show off. These ones were sent by Mike Muleman. First one is from the Kzoo Fools up in... Let me get where I can see my actual camera here so I can see what I'm showing people. If it'll snap. Snap into focus, camera. Do it. Anyway. Yep. On the back, it's got a great Aaron Fields quote there. Beautiful coin. I love the black and silver. And yes. then the other one is Comstock Fire Department. It was designed uh, by the late chief, Ed Sitalski. He was struck while responding to a call. It's got there. Sorry, I'll get it. Taking care of those who depend on us. And that's Comstock Fire, but they got a really cool They They put his LODD date on the edge of the, the company. The company is nine or is it a six? I missed it. Man, it's on me for having it. It's nine. Oh, nine. Okay. It is a nine, yeah. So, but then he was the one who actually designed the coin, and then they, they added that date to it. So, to commemorate that. But thank you for sending me those. They're going to go into the collection back there, which is. You got always- two more coming. It's always yeah, growing. <laughs> awesome. Um, Timmy, brother, I can't say thank you enough, man. Chief, thanks, man. It was awesome. It was a very uh, deep conversation that I think needs to be had more and more and more until it's just normal. No, it was good. I had a good time, man. Or if we can't at least make it to where it's not needed to be normal. Yeah. That would you be know, the it's ultimate always- goal. It's so it, it we always it seems like we're finding ourselves saying, "Oh man, we should have talked to this guy when it was too and when it's too late." You know, mm. if we could just get to the point where we're not doing that so much anymore, it would be a lot better. You know, love it. Uh, okay, people are saying awesome scrap, good job. Scraps keep me getting better. See, Andrew said scraps keep getting better every time. Thanks to all the guests, apps and the guests make this so much. I can't ever tell them thank you enough for spending their evenings with me. Timmy, thanks for coming on, spending your evening with me, sharing your story with me and the guests. guests Anytime. Audience, you guys make the scrap with your questions, uh, your feedback. Uh, I love y'all. Um, everybody, remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.